Well, good morning. Happy Easter. My name is John Allen. Welcome to Risen Church. Uh, and so like every Easter Sunday, and sometimes even when it's not Easter Sunday, because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Amen? Oh, what? Come on. Is this Easter or Good Friday? Amen? All right, so we are going to celebrate, though, by a little call and response. We'll wake you up a little bit this morning, and we're going to uh, lean into the power of the resurrection. So um, this is actually an ancient church greeting, which just shows you how pivotal the resurrection actually is and how significant the resurrection is to the identity of Christians and that it always has been. Okay, so this is an ancient church greeting. You ready? So if I were to say... He is risen, then you would say, He is risen indeed. All right, so here we go. Let's try it. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. And that changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. But here's the question what does it change? Like, really, what does it change? We're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about a man being raised from the dead. But not just any man, Jesus. So what does a man coming back from the dead 2,000 years ago have to do with us? What does that have to do with any of us? On an individual level, on a corporate level, what does this mean? Seriously, I mean, even if you believe this is true, right? And honestly, that's a wild thing to believe, Right? I mean, a man dies, he's buried, and then three days later, he comes back from the dead. Three days later. We're not talking like he got knocked out and then he's like, oh, I'm awake now. He got murdered. And then he rises from the dead. Like, you believe that? Yeah. Yes. You see, this is not a myth. It's not a metaphor for positive living. A lot of times our culture will try and spin it that way. That is not Christianity. This is good news. This is an event that took place. See, all of Christianity is actually about a person, Jesus Christ. It's about a living, breathing, flesh and blood man. Not a dead man, but a man who died and conquered death through the resurrection. And in that reality, that event, and the implications of that event have changed the course of history. And if you'll receive it this morning, it'll change your life. And even if you receive it more and lean into the depths and the implications of what it means, it'll continue to change your life. There's a man named H.G. Wells. Anybody heard of that guy? Historian, author? Um, H.G. Wells, he said this of Jesus, and that he was not a believer. In fact, he says this, I am a historian, I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in history. So as Christians, our individual lives They are all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. As a church, everything we do is all about Jesus. And so if we we have a brand, like if we have a, 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 a brand of any kind, it's the empty tomb. It's the empty cross. 
Like whenever I see a cross or a crucifix and it's got Jesus' body still on it, I just want to tell everybody in the room, like, he's not there anymore. He got off. He got off that cross. And he's risen, flesh and blood. He is risen. Like Jesus is what it's all about. And it's not just, it's also about what he's done for us. And so this is why the resurrection matters so much. It's why the name of our church is Risen Church. We're not rising church. We're risen church because it's our identity. And it's our identity is firmly established in what's already been accomplished for us in Christ. So everything we do is about Jesus. See, church is way more than just an, this event that we attend right? It's not just an event we attend. It's a people that we partner together in Christ along with. And all of that is in response to the amazing news of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And so we exist to share life in Christ, our risen Lord, with each other, our city, and beyond. And that's what we're all about, right? But, But that's ultimately the reason we're all about that is because that's what our king is all about. And so this is the power of the local church. This is what we do. This is the local body of Christian believers, like partnering together as disciples of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus. Like that's what we do. This is the local church. It's, this is why the local church is God's plan to accomplish his greatest purpose in the world. So right up front here, I want you to know that if this is your first time gathering with us, or, or it, it, like if you're new or you haven't been in a while, I want to say welcome. I want you to know that we're really glad that you are here. And I want you to, uh, I want you to be invited to do two things, okay? First of all, try five. Say try five. So try five, five consecutive weeks of just getting to know who we are and what we're about because the truth is that just brushing the service uh, uh, or, or just you are just brushing the surface on one Sunday service because the church isn't just one event, right? This is about way more than just some guy talking and some songs that we're singing. So getting to know who we are, what we're about, and so often that's my challenge to try five. Now maybe you're visiting from out of town. I want you to know I'm also really thankful that you're here. And I hope that you're encouraged to run harder after Jesus and be drawn deeper into his love and who he is for you. Um, but if this is your first time and, and you're local, and I also want to invite you uh, to our Weekender event, which is going to be happening on Friday and Saturday of May 19th and 20th, which is about five weeks from now. See how that works? Five, try five. So, and the Weekender event is your one-stop for connection at Risen Church. So we'll be meeting together on Friday night, and then we'll do Saturday morning. We'll have a meal together. We'll learn more about uh, each other. We'll learn about who the church is, what our vision, values, mission, what that's all about. Um, And just, again, this is all about Jesus. In fact, one of the first things that you're going to learn about who we are, even at that Weekender event, is that our value number one is gospel centrality. And so what that means is that we are all about Jesus, okay? And the resurrection is the reason. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ, hear this, it's not just a victory. It's a confrontation. The resurrection is actually very confrontational to all of us. Like it's something that we've all got to deal with. 
We must deal with the resurrection. And it's often the last thing that people want to deal with. That's why they want to turn it into a legend or a myth. And they say, well, there's not really evidence and blah, blah, blah. Really? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, actually says this. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, this is a huge paradigm or worldview shift. This is not all there is. You see, if, if, if he's just a good model for positive living, then thousands of years of sacrifice and toiling and even martyrdom to build the church and draw people unto the good news and the goodness of Jesus Christ and expanding the kingdom on the earth, all of that, it's in vain. Completely in vain. Like, if Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead and this is all there is, you know what that means? It means eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. Like, if that's your perspective, then think about this. You're only going to gather with the church as long as it's fun or entertaining or self-fulfilling. But not for the mission, not for his commission, not for his glory, but only insofar as it's helpful to you or as far as you think it's helpful to you. See, I told you this is confrontational. Not if it requires anything of you, because let me tell you, man, th this is the greatest, most significant mission in eternity. It is the greatest honor. It is the great commission. It is amazing, but it's not easy. This is not a typical Easter Sunday message, right? Like, this thing is not easy. And it, 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 listen, it not only requires something of us, it requires everything of us. And it's totally worth it. You know why? Because he's totally worth it. Completely. I mean, otherwise, we might as well just be sleeping in right now. Right? have another, an extra Easter egg hunt, right? Because I was going to say out on the beach, but it's cold. <laughs> but this is real. It's real. And the resurrection is our confrontation. He is risen, and it changes everything. And so this morning, we're going to walk through the resurrection story and let the risen Christ confront us this morning. Wherever you are this morning, like my hope and prayer is that Jesus would confront you in the way that only he can, in that love and joy and grace and truth that Jesus Christ meets us with. Wherever you are and right where you are. My prayer is that we'd all be drawn deeper in and higher up into the reality of his resurrection and our identity as those risen in Christ. And if that's not your identity, I pray that you wouldn't leave here this morning without receiving that as your identity. And so for the rest of our time, we're going to walk through Matthew 28, verse 1 through 10, and then we're going to close with two confrontational questions to help us deal with the majesty and relevance of Christ's resurrection for us all today. 
So Matthew 28, verse 1. Uh, yeah, starting with verse 1. Look with me. Matthew 28, verse 1. It says this. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Okay, so remember, this is the context that's going on here. Um, it, it, it's been a devastating past few days. I mean, truly devastating. On Thursday evening, Jesus sat down with his disciples to celebrate Passover. And then the sun, as the sun went down that night, he takes his disciples out into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And that's where Judas Iscariot betrays him and leads soldiers to arrest Jesus Christ in the middle of the night. And it, and it was through these clandestine sort of kangaroo courts that they condemned the innocent Jesus to die. It's still nighttime when all that takes place because they're ashamed of what they're doing, as they should have been. And they beat him, and they tortured him, and they hung him on a cross to die. That was Friday, okay? Now, many of the men scattered. Many of the disciples, they scattered. Some betrayed him, some denied him, some simply abandoned him. But these women had stayed close to Jesus through the entire thing. Confusion had gripped them, but their love never waned for him. So Friday came. He's brutally and publicly murdered, and he's laid in a tomb along with all their hope. And that Sabbath, that Saturday, would have felt like an eternity. I actually confess that yesterday felt pretty long for me. Last night, I didn't sleep much. Truly. I was just like, Sunday's coming. <laughs> and so, I gotta tell you, if it were me... On Saturday, I'd be thinking, what happened? Like, what did we miss? What's going on? Like, God, how could you let this happen? So many questions. But honestly, I don't really think that that's what these women were thinking. That's what I'd be thinking. But I'm not sure that's entirely what these women were thinking. You know what I think they were thinking? I think they were thinking, I just want to be with my Lord. I think that when it hits the fan and you love Jesus, you know what your first thought will be? I just want to be where he is. Like, when can I come and be with Jesus? When can I anoint his body? When can I pray at his feet? Like, I don't understand. One thing I do know, though, is I love my Jesus and I need to be where he is. So maybe they were even praying, like, as they're going, like, what are they thinking? They rise early. I'm, the sun's not even up yet. And they're on the way to the tomb. They just need to be where Jesus is. And, and, and maybe they're even praying on the way that they'd be able to get into the tomb. After all, like, we know that it's been sealed. Roman guards are placed around it to keep people from going into it. So part of them just going to the tomb, these women is an act of faith in and of itself. So I actually think they're going, God, just help us get into the tomb. Boy, did he answer that prayer. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Remember, big stone. Okay? Big stone. No one person would be able to even move this, all right? 
And so he comes and he, and he sits on the stone. He rolls it back and sits on it. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Again, this is not a metaphor. All right? I want you to take this in. I want you to think about the timing. As they approach the tomb, the earth quakes as an angel of the Lord who looks like lightning with clothes white as snow shows up. It's still dark, right? He rolls this massive stone away, and then he just kind of sits on it. The sun's not even up yet, so that lightning appearance would not have been subtle. Okay? This would have been terrifying. Verse 4. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Remember, the guards were there to stop anyone from stealing the body because there had been so much talk about Jesus uh, coming back from the dead. And so they were set there to stop anyone from stealing the body and pretending and making this big hoax because people believed he was the Messiah. And so I want you to imagine their surprise when this angel shows up and shakes the earth as heaven literally breaks through. And then the earth wasn't the only thing quaking at that moment. The guards were terrified. They trembled, and it says they became like dead men, right? They shook. They shook just like the earth shook. That's intentional. So imagine their surprise when this angel shows up. He shakes the earth. Heaven's breaking through, and all that unstable truth in their world gets revealed, in other words, it's not truth. There's instability. Because all that is unstable in the truth trembles, crumbles, and departs in the presence of truth and true glory. The guards became like dead men because in the presence of glory, the truth is exposed that they were actually dead men. So I sometimes wonder how these soldiers would have described what happened, right? Like, how did they describe this event on the back end of it? Like maybe they became Christians? Maybe. I, 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 honestly, potentially likely, or maybe they came up with another explanation for what happened. Like, if it was part of our government today, they'd probably report back that aliens had abducted the body, right? Because apparently that's more believable, believable than anything supernatural today. Verse 5. But the angel said to the woman, or to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. So I want you to notice, the angel doesn't tell the guards not to be afraid. He's talking to the women and only the women. Like the, the guards are still trembling in their corner like dead men. Like they've probably wet themselves at this point, right? Their mortality is exposed and they, had, they get no words of comfort. Because they were in fact dead men and that's just now on display for them. They had been ignoring it, now it's clear. It's just on display. The, the message to them was, you should be afraid because you stand in direct opposition to the king and his kingdom. But to the women, his words are clearly, do not be afraid. Why? This is important. Why? Because I know what you seek. I know why you're here. I know who you're here for. That's what sets the two of them apart. I know why you're here. Jesus, who was crucified. My question for you this morning, why are you here? What is it that you seek? 
Is it Jesus or is it something or someone else? Is this emotion you're going through? Or are you here seeking Jesus? Verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And so now I want you to see this. Some people seem to think that God only gives, like, a limited information. Okay? This is really important. Like, faith is supposed to be this naive thing where we take in, like, a tiny bit of information and then ignorantly run with it for the rest of our lives. Like, refusing to just, I'm not going to take in anything else or any type of information because I've got this and just, ah. That's how many people think faith works. Like, it's just, just what your parents told you and then you refuse to weigh any actual evidence. That's how people tend to think Christianity works. I once uh, spent some time in Indonesia and met an Islamic imam, and we had this conversation about, you know, who is Jesus? And, and we talked about who Jesus is, and he told me what his perspective was, and I said, uh, we got into a point where I was just saying, hey, like, I, he was rattling off a bunch of stuff, a bunch of, like, rote, memorized responses, and I just kind of said, man, I, I'm just, like, I'm after truth. Like, let's just seek truth, and he got wrecked. He got rucked. I, I didn't even understand what was happening. And he looks down at his feet and he says, I don't look for truth. I'm a soldier that does what he's told. And he like teared up and got terrified. And it was a situation, it was almost like the glory of God had been revealed to him and he was like a dead man and he walked away. And, and there was like a crowd of people around and they were all kind of confused and I was even confused. I was like, what just happened? I never saw him again. But that's what I think of when I think of this. Like, Jesus is the truth. It's not just, like, it, this is faith. Is, like, how people tend to think of Christianity is, is that it's just some, like, unverified fairy tale. That's not true, guys. Like, nothing is farther than truth. In fact, Christianity is the reason society actually cares about actual truth to begin with. Like, our world is so full of subjective nonsense that apparently logic and reason have become beholden to whatever your imagination would indulge in, in whatever moment or feeling you're in. Christianity has always actually been the thing that grind, grounds us in the truth, but it's Jesus who invites us to lean into him by faith, but also to verify in truth. Tim Keller was recently talking about this. Like, remember John 1 tells us that this, this Jesus is the word of God or the logos made flesh, right? That's what John 1 refers to when he says that he is the word made flesh. That word in the Greek is logos. That's where we get the word logic from, right? Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. So truth is actually a person. Now, I want you to think about this new, uh, or, or this, this new life when we think about who he is and what he offers. And I want you to think about what we're looking at in this story. Like, it's not enough for this, like, lightning angel to come down and shake the earth and petrify the most elite soldiers on the planet at the time. Okay? Like, that would be... Like, the angel doesn't just sit there and say, look how awesome I am. You should take my word for it. That's not what he says. He says, see for yourself. See for yourself. He says, come and see. Verify. Yes, have faith, but also verify that faith through experience. The evidence is in there. 
Guys, why do you think the angel rolls that stone away in the first place? It's not so Jesus could get out. Right? Jesus is already out. The angel even says he's on his way to Galilee. We also learn later his resurrected body isn't bound by walls or doors. He is the doorway to all things. He just passes right through. So why did the angel roll away the stone? Like it wasn't so Jesus could get out. It was so we could come in. It's so you can behold. It's so we can behold. Come and see for yourself. But so often we're afraid to even look. So often, guys, I've been in ministry. Gosh, I've been in ministry for a lot longer than that. <laughs> well over a decade. And more than that, I've been a Christian for 20, 23 years. And I've been talking about this stuff for 23 years. And I always thought, well, if you just put the evidence on display, then people will see it. No, they won't. No. Because so often we're afraid to even look. So often we find comfort in the stones that stand between us and a deeper revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done. Because if the tomb is empty, if the resurrection is real, that has major implications. Like it means Jesus is Lord. It means this whole thing is actually true. And that changes everything. It changes everything about the way that we view life and death and eternity. Like when the angel invites them to see for themselves, I often wonder if the women hesitated. Later we learn, I, I, I actually wonder, but I think the women were like, they couldn't wait. Later we actually do learn that uh, they go back and they tell the disciples about what's happened and what they've witnessed. And Peter and John then take off in sprint fashion to the tomb John gives us this record, and John also mentions that he beat Peter in the foot race to the tomb. <laughs> and I, but I don't think that he's only just saying that he's faster than Peter. I think that that's intentional. I think that's because there's a greater excitement. See, John never left him at the cross. John never betrayed Jesus. Peter did. Peter denied him. And so what we see is that John runs, and he runs right in. And when they see the stone that's rolled away, John, the beloved disciple, rushes right in without a beat. But Peter pulls up. Peter hesitates. Why? Because the removal of that stone and the empty tomb had implications for the man that had just denied him. It meant that it was all real. It meant that Jesus was alive. The empty tomb was a major confrontation to Peter. Just three days before, he had denied him. It meant that it was... Now, that stone, that barrier... That was a comfort to him. But now that that's been rolled away, the question is, will he enter in and face the truth? Or will he look for anything, anyone, to be a comfort to a lie? Or to be a lie that's a comfort to him? Will he enter and face the truth? Will you? What stones stand in the way of your relationship with the risen Christ? Do you believe that his grace truly is sufficient? Back to Matthew 28. So the angel invites the women to see for themselves, and then there's this little implied pause, right? I love this part. And this is how I kind of read this. As they, so they go into the tomb, and then when they come back out, so they've gone into the tomb, and then when they come back out, the angel says, see, I have told you. I love that. Okay, so, so, but while Matthew doesn't give us the details here, Luke provides another angle. 
kind of like as if there was like a camera in the uh, tomb to tell us what was going on in there, you know? Like, listen to Luke's account of what happened when they actually go into the tomb in Luke 24, verse 3. It says this, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, more angels. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. So now I want you to picture them going back out of the tomb, right? They're stunned. They're, they're shocked. They're like, what? And, and then there's that first, like, lightning angel still sitting on the tomb, stone, right? Just sitting there as they come out. I just picture him kind of smiling like, told you so. See, I have told you, <laughs> Right? And then I, I love this so much because walking with Jesus is absolutely laden with these, like, I told you so moments. Like, this is God just revealing his glory more and more. Like, I, I, if you could get an insight, I, I wish I could. This is like my own testimony. I feel like it's a constant God saying, I told you so. See, I told you so. Right? It's, it's faith and then verifying that faith. See, told you, see, told you, see, told you, see, trust me. I was faithful then, I'll be faithful now. Remember what I said now? See, told you. It's not faithless to verify. It's actually faithful. That means enter in. Faith like a child, guys, is not ignorant. It's asking questions knowing daddy has the answers. Why is the grass green, daddy? Why is the sky blue, daddy? That's a big difference from... Nobody knows. different the entire reason they went into the tomb in the first place is to verify what they already suspected that's faith the, the reason most people deny jesus isn't because the resurrection is unbelievable it's because they're not willing to come to grips with the implications of the empty tomb but we have to we have to deal with it. There's nothing more important. Ask the questions. Enter in. Let him roll away those stones that stand in your way. Not just of the empty tomb, but of knowing him more and more and more. You must deal with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Faith is important, but that doesn't mean verification is not available. 1 Corinthians 15 Three, Paul puts it like this. He tells the Corinthians, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, go talk to them. Go verify. They're still alive. Though some have fallen asleep, because this was a lot, this was like 30 years after. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Again, come and see, verify. Now you might say, none of these people are alive now. <laughs> and you're right. So you can't talk to the people that saw it, you might say. But the evidence is still overwhelming. The question I have is, are you actually interested or are you finding comfort on your side of the stone and the tomb? 
So some great resources. Uh, I've, we've got them on the, we put them up on the slides here. We've got some great resources for you. If you are interested in digging into the resurrection more, there's a great book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. I think it's actually a Netflix documentary as well, uh, um, or Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. I think it's Netflix. Um, and then another book called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. And of course, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and if you really want to dive in, and you like to read a lot, The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright, um, and then uh, Richard Balcom wrote a, 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 another long one, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, okay? History tells us also that the disciples themselves, their life and the way that they responded to the resurrection has implications itself. Just what the disciples did alone like these guys that were running scared, betraying, abandoning, denying, these guys, all of them, all of them, except for John, who died of old age after he had been boiled in a vat of oil and exiled to the island of Patmos, every single one of them was martyred joyfully for their faith in Christ. You know what that means? They encountered something. Like, you might not believe it, but you can't believe that they didn't believe it. That's the testimony that has shocked and changed the world. And so after the women leave, they're, they're struck to the core, right? But not just with fear and awe, but also joy. Their world just been flipped upside down in the best possible way. So back to Matthew 28, verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. P.S., do you know the feeling of fear and joy don't have to be mutually exclusive? Like, this is a very common part of following Jesus, by the way. Like, even though they've been told not to fear, they're still kind of like that, a little shook. Like, really shook. Like, you can be rocked to your core like you've experienced an earthquake in your soul and yet still be filled with joy. This is what it's often like to trust in Jesus and follow him. It doesn't mean everything's suddenly cool and calm and easy. It likely means that the world's going to start convulsing around you, but he is your firm foundation. If the earth quaking and then realizing that everything else falls apart, but not your relationship in Christ. He's the rock of your salvation upon which you stand. He brings joy even in the midst of the storm. And peace, because he is the Prince of Peace. And it's often in the midst of those difficulties that we experience our most intimate encounters with him. It's often in that tension that Jesus meets us. Look at verse 9, because this is where he meets these women. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Whew! I want you to miss this. They don't just run up and hug him. It's more profound than that. Like you see all these, sometimes you see these, these pictures of people like, I can't wait to go to heaven one day when I see Jesus. I'm going to run up and give him a big bear hug. I'm hitting the floor. Like this is the king of glory. I don't, there's nothing wrong with giving the hug. I, I, I love the hug, but, but man, Think about who this is. Like what they do says a lot about who he is. If they gave him a hug, I don't think that'd be wrong. Like I think it, 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 if they were to be like, man, I'm glad you're okay, <laughs> right? But, 
but they fall at his feet and they worship him as God Almighty in the flesh. Also, I want you to see that God doesn't just send them on their commission here. He meets them in the middle of it. They've already been sent. He meets them there. He meets them as they're on mission to tell. That's not a coincidence. Like they were running to tell others about the resurrection, and as they did, they ran right into Jesus. Because that's where fellowship, we fellowship with him most. That's where it happens most and most intimately, is when we're on mission and when we're on mission together. When we're in the game and not distracted by the things of this world, but when our hearts are alight with what his heart burns for, and we keep the main thing the main thing, and we are fixed on him and his glory and his kingdom and the grace that changes everything. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. He's telling them again. Anybody else need to hear that multiple times? Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And why do you think he needs to tell them not to be afraid here? Again, like he says it again, but, but I think for one thing that, that it's important to recognize that the finite is encountering the infinite. And whenever that happens, we tend to kind of lose our minds a good bit. That's okay. Like a lot of times people are critical when they have an experience of God and they're like, oh, they need to get in control of themselves. And it's like, if they're encountering God, that's easier said than done. Let's have a little mercy, okay? And so although it's joyful, right, it's, 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 it's both, there's that fearfulness, but there's a deep joy, right? They're praising God, but also it can be paralyzing. But listen, like the tenderness that Jesus gives in this to remind these women again not to fear. Not to fear. Like you need, I want you to hear the tenderness of his voice in the midst of what feels like everything being flipped upside down. Don't fear. You need to hear this. Men and women, you're the bride of Christ. Hear his word. Do not be afraid. Go and tell. Lean into the joy, not the fear. The faith, not the paralysis. Lean into the celebration and the good news, not your inability and lack of credentials. Because it's not about our credentials anyways. It's about his. You see, part of the power of the story here, and another reason we can trust this account of the resurrection, is that these were women in a society that gave them zero credibility. Like Jesus chose women whose testimony held such little authority that it couldn't even be used in a court of law, and yet Jesus chose to reveal himself to them and through them first. If this was an attempted hoax, they wouldn't have based the initial evidence on the resurrection and testimony of women. Think about that. The only reason that they would have recorded it this way is if that's how it actually happened. It's part of how we can know this is trustworthy. And yet their cultural lack of credibility would have also added to the timidity to speak up, to go and tell. But Jesus meets them there, and he reassures them, and he commissions them, just as he's commissioned all of us as the bride of Christ to go and tell. So two questions. Two questions that the resurrection of Jesus Christ confronts us with. What are you seeking? Is number one. What are you seeking? Look, look, what are you here for? Why are you here this morning? Even if you've been walking with Jesus your whole life, why are you here this morning? Many of you are here for Jesus. You love him and you want to celebrate him and you want to be where he is. 
Again, part of the power of the local church is that we are the body of Christ upon the earth. And so when we gather together, not because we're perfect, but because we're perfectly loved, Jesus promises that his presence will be here in and among us with those who love him and love what he loves. Those who are unified in what matters most, it's like gathering in the midst of his presence. So even if it's your first time and you don't know us, but you know the love of Jesus, like when you gather with his people, it's like coming home. Right? Even if you're just visiting from out of town, welcome. Right? We're glad you're here. Like, this is the power of his presence in his people. And some of you are here because, like the other disciples, you've, you've heard about Jesus, maybe. Maybe you've been invited, but maybe you don't really know him yet, but you've come because you're interested. You're still seeking Jesus. Like, someone has said, come and see, and so you're here this morning. Again, Welcome. We're so glad you are here, and we want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Not a style, not a collective personality or a brand or an event. Jesus. Please don't hesitate to ask questions. Like, even if you think that they're too difficult, don't hesitate to ask questions. Proverbs 25, verse 2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, and it's the glory of kings to search them out. Okay? So it's all a part of true fellowship with him, diving deeper into him, asking those questions, knowing daddy has the answers. It's why true science and faith are not at odds with one another. True science. I'm going to say true science and faith are not at odds. In, in fact, the moment science began being used as a noun is the moment it became a, became a religion itself. Science is not a noun. It's an investigative process. Okay? When it becomes a noun, it becomes religion, okay? So use logic, reason, rationality, all the things God gave you to seek truth because Jesus is truth, and truth is, in fact, a person. Yes, again, have faith, but also lean in as he verifies that faith. Faith in Christ is not ignorant, it's substantial, and it's based on evidence that transcends just what we can see. Now, some of you are here for a different reason. And maybe it's because you just wanted something fun to do or entertaining to do on Easter, and it's kind of what you do. You saw a sign. Maybe you're just like, hey, I'll show up. This sounds fun. Maybe you're even here to appease somebody else. Maybe you're just kind of like, ah, I'm supposed to be here because so-and-so is going to be mad at me if I didn't come or trying to impress somebody or something else like that. Remember, that's why the guards were at the tomb. Think about that. Now hear me. I am so glad you are here. I, I hope you feel extremely welcome. But you need to understand, let this confront you. Like, if you're, the, the, the reason the guards are at the tomb is not only were they not interested in seeking Jesus, they were told to be there. And not only were they not interested, they had sealed it shut and were standing guard over it. Like, if you're here seeking something other than Jesus, then you've set a guard against, your, against the resurrection and the reality of who he is over your own heart. And sealed it. And I pray that the Lord would roll that stone away this morning. You see, the resurrection, oh, the Jesus stuff, it's not a priority for that heart. 
The reality of the empty tomb and the implications of Christ being alive and the Savior King, all that stuff, it's not a priority. So you guard the tomb. Keep it sealed, uninterested in truth. And in the process, you're just keeping guard, keeping anyone else away, keeping anyone else from drawing near. I want you to listen to me this morning. This isn't about a church event. It's not about a preacher. It's not about how cool the view is. Pretty nice. Sun's coming out. But this is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You've got to deal with him because he will deal with you. Praise God. This isn't about what your parents believe or how you grew up. Praise God if you had godly parents. If they prayed over you, it's probably one of the reasons you're even here this morning. But if, even if they didn't, we have been praying for you. And so we're glad you're here. But this is about what you believe. What are you seeking this morning? Why are you here? Our goal is to point you to him, not just initially, but perpetually. This is what we mean by sharing life in Christ with each other. Ultimately, though, again, this is up to you. You're leaning in, and I pray that you do, that you enter in, that try five. I, I pray that you'd come to the weekend. We want to get to know you. We want to partner with you as we all seek Jesus together. Which leads to the second question. The second question that the resurrection confronts us with. What stones stand in the way? This doesn't just apply to unbelievers. This applies to all of us as we grow closer to Jesus. Again, what stands in the way of trusting him more and more with every area of your life? Maybe like Peter, when you sinned against the Lord, that sealed tomb is a comfort. Maybe you've been in a situation and you're like, man, I don't know if I even want to deal with this because what's he going to say? It's better for me to just put all this aside. Because man, if it's empty, there's likely a part of you that doesn't want to know about it. If he's the king, that means you're not the king. Later today, we're going to celebrate nine baptisms. Woo! Praise God. And each candidate is going to be asked two very simple questions. The first question that we're going to ask them, out loud in front of everybody, is, do you believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you? That's such an important question. Like that means you believe there's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore, and there's nothing you can do or have done that can make him love you any less. Guys, that's comforting, right, to the heart that realizes there's a deep need for the Savior. But that question is a horror to the heart that's consumed with self-righteousness. Because even now, when I say that, when I make that statement, some of you cringe a bit because you still feel the need to prove yourself to God with your own resume. You still feel like there's something else that you can do to make him love you anymore. And that there's something that you have done that's still, oh, I don't know if he loves me now because of that thing. And so that cringes, that, that self-righteous heart that's trying to prove itself cringes at that. John Bunyan was once a, a, a fantastic preacher, and he, pre he, was a, he was preaching this gospel of grace, and it provoked a number of highly religious people to then say this to him. They said, if you preach that kind of grace, all the people, or sorry, if you preach that kind of grace all the time, people are going to start doing whatever they want. And he famously responded to them saying, no, if I preach this gospel of grace to people, they will do whatever God wants. 
see, this is the gospel. That God became a man, and he lived the life we couldn't live, and he died the death we deserve to die, and he conquered death and the grave, and he paved the way to eternal life through the resurrection. And it's eternal life with God Almighty, God the Father, loving us as his children, as his beloved. Because of what Jesus has done, the, the gap has been bridged. And he fills us with his spirit. And he changes us from the inside out. He even puts new desires and new affections in our hearts. And he changes us. And so the, the second question that I'll ask them is, so the first question, do you believe Jesus has done everything necessary to save you? And the second question is, will you go where he asks you to go and do what he asks you to do? Now again, to the heart that trusts him and believes that he has their best intentions in mind, even in the difficulty, that's a comforting question. It's a question of intention, though. Not perfection, intention. Like none of the people being baptized today are going to live that out perfectly. That's why they need this continual grace. That's why they first need to accept that Jesus has already done everything necessary to save them. Okay? But he's not just Savior, he's also Lord. And if he can't be, like he can't be your Savior if he's not also your Lord. And the only one worthy of this kind of surrender and trust is the one who rose from the grave in the first place, in your place. If the resurrection is true, then these two questions are easy to answer, right? Because he's Lord, like of course he's good. So again, what's keeping you from fully entering in? I'm going to close with a story in a situation that I found myself in, and I used to do college ministry at Duke. Um, and these, these, I, I found these issues coming up a lot, and, and I have throughout ministry, right? Like the, the things that stand in the way, often doubt, fear. Like maybe he's going to ask me to go somewhere I don't want to go. Maybe he's going to ask me to do something that I don't want to do or stop doing something that I love doing. Maybe you think he won't have it, you won't have what it takes to really follow him and you're just signing up for your own failure. And those are stones that stand in your way. Maybe you have an idea about who Jesus and Christianity is that, you know, that let you down. Like you had an idea of who Jesus is and then he didn't come through for you. Or you'll say Jesus didn't work for you. And the truth is, guys, Jesus is not your employee. He's the king. And he's good. But now you're realizing that all of that, that was a plastic Jesus. That was a Jesus made in your image, right? Who is Jesus truly? Who is, who is the true king of glory that this gospel is pointing us to? Not just some religion, not just some idea. The answer of all, to all of this is come and see. The answer is faithfully lean in, enter in, and let him verify that he is risen. Do not be afraid. Because whatever it is, he will roll that stone away if you let him. Like he desires you to enter and to verify, to seek him, to draw near to him. And when you do, he promises to draw near to you. I once had a, um, a, a, one, of the, one of the students, there's a, a guy from, he'd grown up in atheist China. He was a student at Duke, brilliant, biomolecular engineer. Um, and he had grown up in, in all of this, like an entire society that had never even known anything about Jesus. And so one of the people in our ministry connected with him and had been praying for him and was witnessing to him. And then they, signed, uh, like they invited us to meet and we get together. And he sits down and first thing he says is, you actually believe this? Right? That's what he says to me. And my approach to him was, um, 
yeah, and it's way wilder than just believing in God, right? Like, I believe he sent his son to die and raised him from the grave. Like, he was like, really? I remember he was so confused because he couldn't comprehend how all these people that he actually respected and weren't insane, and he's like, are you insane? You know, and, and how they could function in society with that kind of worldview. It was so, he just couldn't comprehend it. And so, like, this is the guy that, you know, it, 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 you'd think he's so far, there's no way this guy could ever become a Christian. But I just, I didn't try to, like, water it down and try and show that I'm not crazy. I actually pressed in further on the crazy button. And um, I, <laughs> I, said, I said, we were sitting, I'll never forget this one. We were sitting at a table, and I said, you see that cup right there? There's like a cup sitting there. And I said, I believe that God loves you so much, and he wants you to know that Jesus is Lord and died for your sins, and he's calling you into a relationship with him. I believe that so much that I think that if that cup were to float to the ceiling by itself right now, that if that's what it would take for you to believe in him and, and come to Christ, then he would do it right now. He looked at me crazy. He looked at the cup, and he looked at me. <laughs> and he looked kind of at the cup again. And, and <laughs> then I said, he was like, you are crazy. And I'm like, and I knew he was kind of in because he kept looking at the cup. Then I said, but if that happened, would you even believe or would you try to find another explanation for why that cup floated to the ceiling? His eyebrows kind of furrowed and he said, I'd probably try and find another explanation. And then I said, is that logical? And he said, actually, no, that's not actually logical at all. And then I said, so what would it take? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know that anything could. And I was like, it's a pretty hard heart. It's like you've got a bias, and you've made up your mind against anything that might even be possible. And so I said, would you be willing to pray with me and ask God to reveal himself to you in the only way that he can? I don't know what that is. It's not even a cup floating to the ceiling, so I don't know what it would be, but he does. And so we prayed. He said, sure, you know, and we prayed, and, and that was it. A few weeks later, with my leadership team, and we're in a Mexican restaurant, and I'm talking about something, and Melody was the girl that had been praying for him, and she was actually another, she was like a physics major, from, and she was from Hong Kong, and she uh, also had grown up in an atheist environment, and um, she just starts suddenly crying there. And I'm like, I don't know why she's crying. I'm thinking, like, did I say something that offended her? And so we stopped and then began to pray for David, this guy, because she says, I have this vision right now in my heart, and I can't shake it, and I see David right now before the cross. And so we stopped and we prayed for David, and then Melody texted him as we kind of finished our conversation, and um, she just texted him, is everything okay? And he texted back to her, and I quote, no, nothing is okay. I can no longer deny that Jesus is Lord. I can never say this one because it's so powerful. Guys, it's not about you. He's the one that does it. David had been in his room, and he had been reading and investigating, and he'd been leaning into Jesus, and he'd entered into the empty tomb, and he'd run right into the risen Lord. And Melody got to go to him and say, told you so. So whether you came here this morning seeking Jesus or not, he is seeking you. You wouldn't be here if he wasn't. 
He's stronger than any stone that stands in the way. This morning, it may be that your prayer is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. If that's you, that's faith enough for him to move mountains. He can definitely move a stone. Let's pray.